老子是猴哥，你是猴哥，比了猴哥，比了你小猴猴，因为我讲礼貌，我讲很火又好多，个人那就比较那就发发的摸摸，几个月才几号，都不要老子。Podcast, I'm your host Carl Zha. Today, I have a very special guest from my hometown, Chongqing, China. He is Canadian,、uh, living in China, and he will come to Silk and Steel to talk about what is life like on the ground in China during the COVID nineteen crisis. So, welcome to the show, Peter. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so Peter, I got through. I got to know you through my Twitter.、Um, what I know about you is that you are currently living in my hometown, Chongqing. And can you just、uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? How you ended up in China?、Um, what was the decision process there? And and how did you find it? Okay, great. Yeah, so I'm from the province of Ontario in Canada, and、uh, I went to Teachers College in Windsor, Ontario. But they had an exchange program there where I could spend three months、uh, teaching in China. And、uh, so back in 2018, I came to Beibei in Chongqing, and I got to stay at a really large university called Southwest University. Where there's like sixty、uh, thousand students or so, and、uh, I got to、uh, hear from some professors there. They like set up like special English lectures for the students who did the exchange, and I also had the opportunity to teach them English at a, a public、uh, middle school in Beibei too. So I really liked it.、Um, I was really impressed, actually. By the middle school, the middle school was in more like of a working class district,、uh, but I was like impressed by how hard all the students were working, even though it was like maybe a less wealthy district.、Uh, and I thought、uh, China would be a cool place to like get experience teaching、um, right after I graduated from Windsor. So, yeah, now I'm teaching at、uh, one of the international high schools here, and I'm in Yangchuan.、Uh, District of Chongqing to、uh, China. Went to Chongqing in 2018. Was that the first time you ever been to China? Yeah, it was. It was my first time,、uh, and yeah, I. My brother actually was in China for three years,、uh, and I told him about like the exchange opportunity, and because、uh, because I was thinking of doing it, and then when he told me a bit more about his time in China, he kind of like convinced me. Helped convince me that this would be a good opportunity to take. I haven't really, before China, like I haven't really traveled much at all. Like I've just,、uh, just been to like Cuba for vacation, the classic Canadian、uh, vacation. So, yeah.、Um, so yeah, it was uh, uh, my first time kind of being abroad for a long time, but it was a lot of fun and like、uh, I, I've. I learned a lot. I thought, even though I I have much more to learn, so I I'm happy to be back. <laughs> What、um, so prior coming to China, did you you know did you learn the language? Did you have any other kind of exposure to China? Yeah. So 
my exposure to China were a few things um, that maybe like this summer or before coming to China, I did do a lot of Duolingo studying. And then now, uh, but I haven't really learned much of the language until now. I have like a, I see a tutor every Saturday. Um, and she was trained by like a Confucian Confucius Institute about how to teach foreigners Chinese. So I'm learning from her um, slowly but surely. My other access to China before, I took some Chinese history courses in university um, and I found those uh, courses interesting. And then my brother, like I said, he taught in China for two years, but then also studied uh, Chinese for a year at a university in Beijing. I don't even know which university, but he had a lot of, he has a lot of respect for China and like uh, even misses it now that he's back working in Canada. So he was also kind of like an influence for me to come here. So uh, Chongqing, China, it is happened to be my home, hometown. I, uh, I was born there and I grew up for the first 13 years of my life. Um, but it's a very different place from, from the other parts of China. Um, so, uh, did, like, did, did you uh, just tell tell us a little bit about like when you first got to Chongqing? Uh, what what's the life like? How you know what kind of adjustment you have to make? Yeah. Uh, well, when I first got here for like my full time teaching job, it was in August. So. Like the heat was a big change for me and the humidity. Um, but uh, some things I noticed, I don't know, like uh, I quickly like, for instance, uh, moved into like a, a community apartment or like a one of those, it's not really gated community, but it's a community, it's an apartment with like a lot of working class families. And um, uh, I noticed right away, like every evening, for instance, like, uh, children are playing it's a bit and there's like a bit more of a community feeling than uh, suburban Ontario basically where I came from so that was a bit of an adjustment uh, I never really minded uh, maybe Yongchang doesn't have many foreigners uh, just a few at the, the universities here and at the school I, I teach at uh, but Still, I don't find there to be too much staring or anything. And usually when it is, that is the case, it's friendly just to say hello. Uh, in terms of adjusting, um, I guess I'm not as used to taking public transit too. Like, so I take public transit often to school, but, and I also take the high-speed train into Chongqing uh, to see the doctor or to explore like uh, other areas of Chongqing. And uh, but that's been like a quick adjustment to get used to it um, because because the public transit's really convenient here, I find. Yeah, I guess another point is that uh, I'm trying not to rely too much on like English translation and apps and trying to make uh, Chinese friends and, and speak uh, some Chinese and learn it slowly but surely. So that's a bit of a big adjustment. There are a lot of like... Uh, ways maybe foreigners can get around with translation now for instance you can use dd with like the english version uh but i'm trying to like use like the chinese maps to get around just to 
uh, get less dependent on using English translation. Uh, which Chinese so, map uh, app do you use? Uh, I use both Baidu and AMAP. Okay. Both those, yeah, yeah. I uh, my while I was in China, my cousin told me to download Gaodu D two, which I find very um very helpful. I think the English translation for that for Gaodu D two is like Autonavi or something. Um, oh, sweet. Yeah, but it's it's super helpful. I mean, like you can. Uh, I, it saved my life basically. And and nice. one thing I wanted to ask you though is about language there is a a little bit uh, peculiar situation in Chongqing because um i believe i, I believe the still true most of the Chongqing still speak the Chongqing dialect which is a bit different from the standard mandarin <laughs> that you know people come to know about china like did you um did you have you tried to pick up the local lingo yet or I'm still not really there yet. I, I'm just learning more like kind of like the standard Mandarin. And also some of my Chinese friends will kind of, when we're talking, I can talk barely any Chinese with them, but when we switch from English to Chinese, they, they don't do Chongqinghua, even though they speak uh, Chongqing dialect, they switch, they switch to kind of like a more regular or the more standard Mandarin. But yeah, I know there are some foreigners here who can speak Chongqinghua, so they can be my uh, inspiration. For yeah, for instance, there's like a a brewery downtown where there's a an American who who runs the the brewery and he can speak Chongqinghua no problem. So I can look to them for some inspiration. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. And I was gonna say uh, about staring that you're lucky that you you went to China in 2018 because when I was growing up in Chongqing, I'm talking about like 1980s, right? When when I was a little school kid, if we saw like a like a Western face on the street, we we would swarm them like. All, all our little friends, the group of us, will chase them down to, to see what they look like. I mean, that, but that, that was 1980s when it's very rare to even see foreign faces in China. Uh, and that, that's a lot different now. But, um, but the area, so the area you are right now, Beibei, that's not actually in the city area of Chongqing, right? That's a little bit in the suburbs. Yeah, now I'm in Yangchuan, uh, but yeah, it's a similar situation. It's not in the city uh, area. Like from Beibei, you could take, when I was there in 2018, I could take the subway to downtown uh, Chongqing and it took about like over an hour. Now though in Yangchuan, there's the high-speed train and it just takes half an hour to get to downtown Chongqing, but it's about like uh, an hour and a half drive. To downtown Chongqing, so it's a ways oh. out there. Yeah, people don't realize uh, Chongqing is actually huge. The the Chongqing municipality, the the administration area of Chongqing, because the whole uh, area used to be part of the Sichuan province. So back in 1990s, when China started to build, decided to build the Three Gorges Dam, they decided to split basically the eastern Sichuan province and all give it to Chongqing to form the Chongqing municipality. Um, and basically it, it will be a directly administered municipality under the central government. So you enjoy the same status as 
Beijing, uh, Shanghai, and Tianjin. Um, basically, it has the same. It's the same level administratively as a as a uh, as a province. So so Chongqing right now is the same level as the Sichuan province. But the the Chongqing outside the urban area, Chongqing is actually huge. Um, you know, people it's misleading when people say, oh, there's 37 million people in Chongqing, but that 37 million people is spread in the, like a huge area. I think it's like the size of Austria or something. And and but the actual city core of Chongqing is. Is much smaller. It's uh, and so so I did not realize that you are you are little little bit far from from the from the city center, and and tell me about Yangchun because I'm I think I'm not a. Um, I, I was a city boy. I grew up in the city, <laughs> so I, I'm not quite familiar with that part of the town. Yeah, uh, Yangchun seems to be like a developing. Kind of district of uh, Chongqing, it's um, pretty close to. It's kind of close to Beibei, and it's like close to the border uh, with Sichuan. And um, like for instance, if I catch the high speed train in Yangchuan, it can only it only takes me an hour to get to Chengdu, which is pretty amazing considering how far away Chengdu is. Um, but yeah, there's like kind of like a lot of apartments going up in the area I'm in. Uh, and, but there's like also, uh, it has its own older downtown, uh, where you can visit as well. Um, and I guess it's Yangchuan's known for, uh, I think like it has some really nice parks and uh, I think people from downtown Chongqing will visit Yangchuan to go to its, uh, large bamboo forest and mountain. It's called like tea mountain. That's very beautiful. Um, so yeah, it's a nice it's it's a nice place to be. It's uh, quieter than the downtown, uh, but it's like pretty convenient for getting to uh, downtown Chongqing or or Chengdu. Well, so there's actually a high speed rail train train station in Yangchun. Yeah, it's amazing that it's amazing how much they're building because I think five years ago it it wasn't here. Or I like it, it's pretty new, and I also just a friend of mine in Bay Bay just told me he's really excited because they're building a high speed train in Bay Bay now. Um, when Bay Bay doesn't have a high speed train, so the high speed train is relatively new, and and without it, I'd feel a lot more isolated because there's no subway into downtown Chongqing as well. So the only way I would have uh, been able to get into downtown Chongqing would have been from a long bus ride. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, I so I uh, grew up in Chongqing, but I left in 1990 to join my family in the United States. And I come back to China like on the interval of every nine to 10 years. And every time I go back, it's like I, I've been back to a different country. Just it's just amazing the, the, the pace of the breakneck uh, development. And Speaking of high-speed train, I was in China in 2010, and so, well, that's 10 years ago, yeah. And, and back then, China just started to building the first, uh, they just put in place the first high-speed rail between uh, Tianjin and Beijing, um, a, a, a short distance, and, and now, 10 years later, there's high-speed rail covering most of the country. I was in... Uh, 
So I was actually in China last year, um, and I visited uh, my Australian friend David Emilia all the way down in Yunnan, um, actually on right on the border with Myanmar, um, this border town called Mangsi. So when we traveled to the Myanmar border uh, by by uh, by bus, we actually saw they were building the high speed rail. They're putting down the pythons. Um, for the bridges, they're going to elevate bridges for the high-speed rail that's going to build all the way to the Myanmar border. So it's 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 quite impressive the 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 the, the pace of change that's happening, um, and uh, and I'm glad for your sake that you have a quick transportation at least to the urban area of Chongqing because I, I I'm sure sometimes it could get uh, maybe a little boring out there in the in the in the suburbs. Yeah, for sure. Uh, another example of how amazing high-speed trains are is that I uh, I took the high-speed train even all the way to Xi'an uh, for the holiday in September. So, yeah, it was I was in Xi'an during like the 70th anniversary. Um, but usually you'd have to fly that far. But even just taking the train was just as convenient. So I I took the train. Yeah, uh, so so the train must so the train to Xi'an must go through some uh, very impressive uh, mountain landscapes because um, a famous Tang Dynasty poet Li Bai wrote a poem about uh, the road to Sichuan. Basically, it's called Su Dao Nan, and literally means uh, the way to Sichuan is hard, uh, and and it compared the way uh, the road to Sichuan as. Uh, uh, harder than climbing the climbing to the heavens, <laughs> because because the, he's talking about specifically about the route from Xi'an right in the north uh, through the Qingli Mountains down to Sichuan because there's some big mountain range in the way, and 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 that's a famous poem that we're as uh, elementary school students in China we all had to memorize, <laughs> and and. Oh, that, yeah. Yeah, and that 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 train, the high speed rail you, you talk about, I think that that's a very recent development. It certainly wasn't there in 2010 when I visited China. Yes, yeah, it's very recent, and yeah, that part of the trip, we were like, it was amazing landscape, and I was like going through mountains, so you'd be like going through the dark, and then all of a sudden it would open up, and you'd see like amazing uh, hills and mountains. So yeah, it was it was pretty impressive. Oh yes, because they have to dig through very long tunnels under the mountains. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, we, I experienced some of that not in the on the rail, but uh, we even on the road to the Myanmar border. They're they're building in, in addition to their high speed rail. They're also building like regular roads. Uh, in the old time, they would build the roads kind of um, surrounding the mountains, kind of like climbing the mountain in a loop. You know, like that takes you a long time to climb. And now now they just blast straight through the mountain and build like these very long, long tunnels. <laughs> Sometimes I, I counted like I think that one of the longest tunnel I've been in uh, in a car is like it takes like 20 minutes to go through, which is pretty impressive. Consider yeah, there. Go ahead. There are long tunnels in uh, Chongqing, too. Yeah, I was impressed. <laughs> I was very impressed by them, too. Yeah, made well, me think of like a Fast and Furious chase scene or something. Being in those tunnels, 
Yes, yes. Another thing for people who are not familiar with Chongqing is、uh, its nickname is Mountain City in China. I mean, it's it's building a very like a mountainous, hilly terrain. It's like San Francisco, basically. <laughs> it's like San Francisco on the Yangtze River,、uh, but more so because there's there's even crazier elevations.、Um, And and so that that it has some very interesting interesting architecture.、Um, so you've been in China for two years? No, I've just been here now since August. Yeah. Oh, it's your second time back in China. Yeah.、Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so you're you're still relatively new.、Um, great. This is awesome. What? So you tell us a little bit about your life in Chongqing before the COVID nineteen hit. Oh yeah, well before、uh, COVID nineteen hit, it was、um, pretty well. Everything was pretty regular. Like uh, uh, I felt I was quite busy with work since it's like my first full time high school teaching job. So、uh, I would like the weeks were were pretty busy being at school、uh, for pretty long hours. But、um, you know, like the weekends could be a chance to explore.、Uh, Different areas,、um, like visiting Chengdu or downtown Chongqing, and、uh, and also、uh, I pushed myself kind of just before, maybe a month or so before the outbreak, to、uh, see、uh, a tutor, a Chinese tutor. So that was keeping me busy as well. Yeah,、um, it's interesting being here because you can kind of have like、uh, one thing people encouraged me to do was to. Not try to isolate myself. Like also make friends with locals here、uh, to help me learn the language、um, instead of only being friends with like the foreign teachers here. So that's something I've tried to do. So、uh, there's a lot of like Chinese staff, for instance, at the school I'm at who are pretty friendly. So like、um, the first time in China, I experienced stuff like like a hot pot. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted. That's something I wanted to ask you actually, because Chongqing is famous in China for having fiery, spicy hot food, and and it is it, the most famous, of course, is the Chongqing hot pot, which is very, very spicy. How do you find it? How do you, have you adjusted? Can can you eat spicy food now? Yeah, I can do it.、Um, I can have like. One spicy dish a day. I can't do more than that, though. I have to limit <laughs> it to that. But yeah, like I really like the the spicy food here、um, with the like Sichuan pep numbing pepper too. Like、uh, even just like the beef noodles here, I find delicious. So oh yes,、uh, you so know, I'm famous, pretty、uh, lucky. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt, but one of the famous Chongqing dish. Is a Chongqing xiao mian, which is a it's literally small noodles, but it's just like a kind of street street side、uh, noodles served up, and and、uh, I just find out that、uh, because you know Taiwan Taiwan is also famous for like Taiwanese beef noodle、uh, soup that's it was kind of a thing, but I just found out、um, through my interview with a with a Taiwanese rapper recently on my show that the Taiwanese Beef noodle soup actually originated in Sichuan and Chongqing. It's 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 my people who you know when they 
many of them went to Taiwan after the Chinese Civil War. They brought basically the, the, the beef noodle soup of Sichuan and Chongqing to Taiwan. So you are enjoying it in its original, original location. Yeah, that's great. And and the I really like the cool or cold noodles here, like that are a bit spicy. People, I think that's the xiaomian you were talking about. Um, people sometimes have that at, at breakfast time, and I've found myself sometimes getting that at breakfast too. It can, it's oh. really cheap. Oh, you're yeah. talking about the, the cold one, the cold noodle, right? Yeah, that's another, I, 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 I eat the hot beef noodles, but then I like the cool noodles a lot for breakfast. They're a bit spicy, but they have a lot less soup and yes. yeah, they're delicious. It's called liang mian, literally like cold cold noodle or, or cool noodles. Um, and and it's uh, it's another Chongqing specialty. Uh, it, it's, it's a little bit more sweet because you can actually put sugar in it, I, I believe. And uh, oh man, you're making me uh, <laughs> getting nostalgic here. So you actually came to Chongqing right after I left. Because I left Chongqing in July last year. I, I went back to China to visit. Uh, my relatives, and then uh, in July, that's when I left Chongqing to come to Bali, uh, and now here you are. Um, so, uh, oh man, like I can't, I, we can probably just go on talking about food of Chongqing because it's just amazing. Ha, have you tried a uh, kosuichi? Uh, maybe I'm not. I'm not sure if I know the Chinese. <laughs> it's like basically like these chickens. Uh, pieces that basically they're kind of bathed in in like a soup of spice, like spice. Uh, it's um, it's like kind of considered like a like a street food. Um, well, oh, least, is it cold? Yeah, it's cold. It's cold. Oh yeah, I've eat, yeah I've had that. Um, it's I really like it. <laughs> I also love the Sichuan fish, like the spicy uh, fish they cook. Yes, yes, that's that's another man. You had you got all the good stuff. Like th those are the Chongqing specialty. It's known for the Chongqing is known for its noodles, the hot pot, and the fish. The 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 the, the way they cook the the fish Sichuan style is, is famous. It, they um only thing I'm I'm a little bit concerned when I have it in China is the. Uh, is that those are fish from the the river fish from uh, from the Jianing or the the Yangtze River, and <laughs> the only thing I'm worried about is the pollution. <laughs> but the fish tastes great. The fish tastes. I know. Great. Yeah, yeah, it's delicious. I don't. I have it maybe like once a month. I try to yeah. limit myself, but it's I yeah, it's so delicious. Yeah. The only thing I found too spicy was when I was in Chengdu and I uh, got the rabbit head. Uh, there, I yeah. found that very spicy. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And and there's um, oh, have you tried liangfen? Liangfen is like, yeah. Oh, I love I love it. Uh, maybe you can describe for our audience what liangfen yeah. is. Can you describe it? I I should know the Chinese names of all these, but I don't. Oh yeah, what is it? It's almost like Jello. It, it looks like Jello, but it's like um. But you eat it with like they, they put a lot of spice on it, of course. Um, it, it's kind of translucent, looks like translucent jello. Um, yeah, yeah, I've had that. They they often put that like with the the fish dishes, right? Like mm -hmm. or and some other dishes. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tasty. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, good thing I just had had the breakfast. Otherwise, I'd be starving right now just talking about food. Um, <laughs> okay, so so let's let's move along. <laughs> and uh, I what I originally wanted you to talk to you about is you know life in China, especially in Chongqing during the COVID nineteen crisis. Yeah, yeah. So I um, a lot of people travel abroad during Chinese New Year, but I decided to stay in China uh, for that. And that's uh, when it just broke out. Uh, but before it broke out, I was in uh, traveling in Chengdu for a bit. And then I was um, back in Chongqing when it broke out. Uh, and um, I noticed that like streets were even dead for I knew that streets would be deader for Chinese New Year, but I noticed that everything was even more dead than I expected. Uh, like I even was in downtown Chongqing just when the news was really getting big about COVID-19. And like um, the like famous bridges in downtown Chongqing, you could like take pictures and there wouldn't be one person on the bridges. Wow. Uh, yeah, so... It was like um, pretty so surreal late, in that way. This was late January, early February, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so they they so the lockdown of Wuhan was announced in I believe January twenty fifth, just before the Chinese New Year. I think Chinese New Year this year was like February, like early February. I I, I remember. Um, I don't have the exact date now, but uh, but yeah, yeah, right around that time. So you were, did you like to stay in China this whole time or what? I didn't actually, but I stayed for quite a bit of it. Like I was here in the thick of it. So I was um, here until uh, February 21st. And then I went back home only until March 11th. And then I came back. I was it, uh, my my. Uh, like the administration at my school basically suggested I try to go home when it was looking really bad on uh, January 21st. So when I, uh, at the time when I went home uh, in Yangchuan and all of Chongqing, there was like varying levels of lockdown. So in like my friends in downtown Chongqing, they could only leave the their apartment once every three days. And then for me, yeah, in Yangchuan, I could only leave my apartment once every two days. Mm. Um, you couldn't really bring friends over to your complex area, um, too. So there was, like, the the complexes were kind of locked. Like, no guests or visitors visitors could get in or out. Yeah, um, this is a time uh, uh, where I describe for people kind of the living arrangement, most urban Chinese live under so most people live in kind of a residential compound uh, and normally these residential compound will maybe a group of uh, apartment buildings that's that's surrounded by um, it's kind of enclosed compound there's, there will be a gate or, or two or several gates that allow entrance and there will normally be a security guard posted in each gate and so during the COVID-19 crisis I guess what they did is they uh at each gate, they, they, they restricted access uh, from people, for, for the non-residents, right? As well as the residents. Is that, is that correct? Exactly, yeah. I had a paper that 
they kind of had to check to see when I could leave uh, when I left. And I usually just, whenever I left, I would just go to the grocery, go for a walk and go to the grocery store to pick up the things I needed. Um, one thing that made it more manageable about these communities though, is that there's like nice gardens and parks in my community and they let, they didn't make people stay only in their apartment. Like you could walk around the garden areas um, anytime, as long as you had your mask on. So that made it more manageable than if I was just stuck in only in my apartment. Uh, one thing that made it maybe easier for me too was that it was like one person could leave each apartment once every two days, but um, family, so that, that meant families had to like kind of like choose which parent would leave. Uh, sometimes I saw couples trying to leave together, but then the they were made to only allow, they were only allowed to have one person leave. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay, so it was down per household. Um, yes. Um, so what? So what made you decide to to leave and and come back? Well, I was I was doing okay with it, but. Um, like my uh, bosses or administrator, the administrators at the school told me they were worried, I guess. And they, they also said school would be delayed quite a bit and we'd be teaching online for quite a while. So I thought, well, I guess uh, might as well go home. And I was there just for three weeks. Uh, for, for two of the weeks I was back in Canada, I was careful too. Like I only really saw my mother right. um, because I was worried just in case I, yeah. I was, uh, I had it. Yeah. But, um, but then uh, the last, the third week in Canada, I kind of uh, visited with uh, my family and friends. And uh, in that week, uh, earlier in the third week, we got the call to come back to teach. Mm. Uh, and I thought, well, basically the, the whole time I was thinking, you know, I'm worried this is going to be a disaster in Canada. Uh, and I knew it would be a disaster in the United States. <laughs> so, so I was like, I was like, I might as well go back where it's safer now. Um, and yeah, remember, yeah that was my thoughts. Yeah, I remember that around that time, uh, late February, early uh, March, there were already like anecdotal reports of uh, overseas Chinese basically fleeing to China to to try to stay safe from the COVID-19. And I remember at that time on Twitter, there's some quote unquote China watchers and, 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 and whatnot kind of cracking jokes about that. They were like, oh, you know, these look at these people so deluded that they got fooled by propaganda <laughs> that they actually think China is safer than 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 US. But that was before the 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 outbreak in US really got out of hand. I mean, because because um, I have a personal story about uh, the, the COVID-19 testing inside United States because my family, most of my immediate family still live in U.S. And my sister uh, hosted a Super Bowl party in early February. And then uh, like around mid-February, I think February 16th, uh, my niece got sick and 
And so were two of the get her guests that came to the Super Bowl party. And then they find out that the two guests they had also have been in contact with uh, people who frequently travel back and forth from China. So my sister got concerned and she took my niece to get uh, to, to the hospital and she tested negative for flu. And, and at the time, the, the hospital just told my sister, oh, just let her go home and, and rest, drink a lot of water, it will be fine. But after a week, you know, my, my niece's condition hasn't improved. Uh, at insistence of my mom, who was a nurse, my, my sister demanded an x-ray for my niece. It turns out she got pneumonia. And then my sister was totally freaking out because, uh, you know, my niece is, has pneumonia and flu tests negative. And so my sister tried to get her tested for COVID-19. This is around, uh, you know, mid to late February. And my sister just ran into all kind of bureaucratic red tapes because the hospital wouldn't administer the test. They say, we, we don't administer the test. It's a, you have to contact the county health department. And when she contacted Santa Clara County Health Department, which is in Silicon Valley, by the way, and they said, oh, uh, but your daughter doesn't qualify for testing because she, um, because A, she, she did not have recent travel history to Wuhan, the epicenter of the, the outbreak. B, they, she doesn't have a contact, a contact with a, a confirmed case of COVID-19. So uh, around this time, basically, there was a big screw up in CDC in U.S. where the, they find out the first batch of, of a COVID-19 test kit were defective. So with limited number of test kits, they were putting out this really stringent requirement on who, which people can get tested. So my, my sister couldn't get my, my niece tested for two weeks. And eventually they went to Stanford Children's Hospital and, uh, and they found my, they, they still, the, the children, even Stanford Children's Hospital couldn't perform COVID-19 tests, but they could perform other tests. They found uh, Mike, uh, I think mycoplasma on, in, in her. And then, so they give her uh, <clears throat> the special antibiotics to treat mycoplasma-induced uh, pneumonia, and that seemed to have worked. Like my, my niece fever finally finally came down and just left with dry coughing. And that, that was after four weeks. And, and when I tweeted about that on Twitter, uh, many people didn't believe me this was happening in U.S., uh, it's only like a, like a few weeks later, then the mainstream news media start, start reporting people can't get tested no matter how hard they try. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you made the right decision, man. That's all I can say. Yeah, thank goodness your niece is okay. And yeah, like uh, on the flight back to China, it was packed. I thought it, it wouldn't be full, but it was packed with... I was one of two foreigners I saw on the flight. It was all... Uh, either Chinese Canadians or like um, Chinese nationals were turning back. Um, and yeah, they were smart to uh, to go back at that time because in on March 11th, when I came back, the flights were still affordable and and uh, yeah, I came back right up at the right time. I, I'm almost like a, a, the world's best uh, pandemic dodger or something <laughs> coming back at that time. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, and and okay. So this actually is a quick it would be a quick uh, segue to our next topic because um, now in China the COVID nineteen crisis has you know been somewhat under control. Now that the worry is really the secondary wave uh, introduced by um, infection from abroad. I remember maybe about a month ago. Uh, my my cousin, this is from not from the Chongqing side of the family, it's from my father's side of the family who live in Hainin, Zhejiang, which is about an hour south of Shanghai. Um, they reported their first case of uh, like outside introduction of COVID-19 cases. It was, a, it was a Turkish citizen who traveled from Italy, who returned from Italy. And and then they, then he was uh, um, they basically they demanded that everyone from abroad have like a 14 days home self quarantine and and but then he became sick and then they 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 took him to hospital and it turns out that he he was confirmed positive case and there was a big scare and and then there's actually a lot of reports in mainstream western mainstream media about rising level of xenophobia in China because of it. There's, there's like reports of, uh, of foreigners being denied access to like supermarkets, to to restaurants because they don't have Chinese ID and then um, and then so, uh, and so, so on and so forth. So so can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what you experienced after coming back to China? Oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. So um... A few things, I guess, like uh, I haven't experienced any of being denied anywhere or anything like that. And uh, some of my coworkers were worried about not being able to go to the gym. Uh, but the gym was fine, too. Like the gym lets us in no problem. So generally, it's been pretty uh, it's been really good. Like um, I, I just find maybe uh, it's it's good for me to wear my mask, especially when I'm going close to people like ordering food and things like that they they tend to appreciate that uh but yeah here i haven't experienced any issues with like discrimination in that way or anything like that in fact when i came back to beijing airport uh well i noticed that like yeah the nurses there and uh were very polite like i was even kind of nervous filling out all these health forms um that i had to fill out to get through security and things like that but they at one point like one of the the nurses even just said oh it's okay calm down you just do it at your own pace so uh that was a contrast to like going through pearson airport in toronto where i find the security there is very rude to everybody in fact when i went through pearson airport uh shortly afterwards i found out that um when I went through the airport on March 11th, there were like security, there was a security uh, person who had COVID-19. So uh, I went through there before there were any like even precautions in Toronto airport uh, uh, regarding COVID-19. But then, um, so when I got to China, uh, it was, there, there were a lot of precautions, but generally like very, people were very nice. I found at the airport. Um, they even uh, like let me know, like warned me, like don't uh, wait for your um, 
your next flight from Beijing to Chongqing, don't uh, accidentally take the, um, like go to a hotel, because if I did that, I'd be at risk of like quarantine in Beijing. Wow. Yes. So, yes. so uh, they were um, helpful in that way too. So I stayed in the airport a bit long for a bit of a long time, but then I, it was fine when I came to Chongqing where I could be quarantined in my apartment. Um, so how long was the quarantine when you came back to Chongqing? Oh yeah, it was uh, 14 days. Um, but uh, I, it wasn't too bad because I, I got here before they did the hotel quarantines. Uh, mm -hmm. So they were still allowing uh, um, apartment quarantines. And I was actually tested twice for coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And nurses came every two days to take my temperature. And they came twice uh, in the 14 days at the start and at the end to test me. Uh, and in, like this school was helpful for me too. like, uh, some staff, um, some of the Chinese staff there would take my like grocery orders and, and bring me food from nice. my orders. So it was generally pretty like good. And my thought was, my thought was like, um, well, I'm going through 14 days here, but in, if I was back in Canada, chances are I'd be need to be under quarantine for months where I yes. could only go for walks. Yeah. Um, and now it seems to be the case in Canada and in uh, like the US. Um, so that that's what kind of made me have a more positive attitude during the quarantine. I kind of, I, I understood uh, why China was doing this. So I, I followed all the rules. <laughs> um, they even put a, a camera at, at my door and I, I, I think they appreciated when I didn't mind them putting a camera at my door to make sure I didn't leave because <laughs> the nurses seemed worried that, oh, this Westerner, Westerner might be really upset by that. <laughs> but I didn't mind it, yeah. Uh, quick question, so about the, the, uh, the, the test, uh, COVID-19 test, what, was, it, was it free? Yes, that's the other amazing thing, it was free. Like, uh, even though I'm not even, like I'm a foreigner here, I'm not a, a Chinese citizen or anything, yeah, it was free. And, and um, can you tell us a little bit about the COVID-19 test itself? Because I've heard like, uh, you know, people say that the nasal, the, the, you know, one of the COVID-19 tests, it, they shove this very long rod down your nose and, and you feel like you're about to die and your, your brain is going to explode. Uh, can you tell, tell us about your experience with COVID-19 testing? Yeah, basically two nurses came, at, but they were much more... Um, like they were in hazmat suits. They didn't just have uh, like uh, the uh, masks on. So, uh, uh, but luckily I was warned by another, a coworker who was here before me. He was like, get ready for this test. It's kind of painful. Uh, and I didn't mind it. I just never knew something could go that far up my nose. But, <laughs> but yeah, like it, it, it was a bit uncomfortable. Um, uh, but like, it, it wasn't too bad. Like I almost can compare it to like getting an ear cleaning. I've gotten my ear cleaned oh. in China before, and that can be kind of painful if they go, do, if there's a lot to get out. Um, 
Okay, let, let's, your wax let's divert. Let's uh, diverge a little bit. Now I want to hear about your year year cleaning. How did you sign up for year cleaning in China? Yeah, that's kind of. I guess that's kind of funny. I because I had to stay. I mean, this would not have been allowed past March 11th. So when I got into Beijing, which would have been March 12th, I realized I if I went to the apartment or the to the hotel, I would have been quarantined for 14 days in Beijing. Yeah. So I stayed at the at the airport and I decided to get a foot massage and ear cleaning. Okay. Just because I I had to stay there overnight. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was pretty. I mean, it was pretty great. Well, I I'm, I'm happy I did it. I mean, I understand the foot massage part. A lot more people would not understand about the ear cleaning. Oh yeah, well, uh, basically the like they tricked me into the ear cleaning. Like they <laughs> gave me the foot massage. <laughs> not really, but they noticed that my ear had <laughs> had a bit of ear wax, and they were like, so "Oh they yeah, you should." You. The upsell. Yeah, yeah. But it, it was worth it. I'm happy they did it because <laughs> I wanted to do it all along. Ever oh, really? since I saw, ever since I saw people like the ear cleaners in uh, Chengdu and okay. the different culture areas of Chengdu, I wanted to do it. So I was happy that they convinced me to not only get a foot massage but ear cleaning as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm yeah. happy for you that you are a happy customer. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I did hear though recently now they have a, they develop a new uh, COVID nineteen test which does not involve shoving that long thing up your nose. I, I believe they they develop like a swab test where it's just inside of your mouth uh, for for you know DNA samples. Um, yeah. But apparently that has you know you know you were you were too early. <laughs> you were too yeah. early. For that. Exactly. Some of the people who came later just got later than me uh, before like um, while they could still come into China they got just that swab uh, in the mouth <laughs> yeah yeah um, so okay so you already been back in China for more over a month now um, after the after the, is your is your home quarantine over Yes, yeah, yeah, it's over, um, and I can leave anytime, basically, yeah. Okay, okay. and what is life in Chongqing like? Because, I mean, I, I only thing I know is kind of my communication with my aunties and cousins through WeChat, and from what I heard, it seems like for the last few months, they've just been hold up at home, you know, my, my they're, they're ordering food, like takeout food, and but they, they, they can't even, the delivery guy can't deliver to the door. So they have to, you know, deliver basically to the gate of the compound. They have to go downstairs and go to the gate and, and take the take the food from there. Um, and but, but my auntie, uncle is mostly retired. So that doesn't matter. I mean, it just, just means they can't, they can't uh, go visit their friends like they used to and play mahjong. But uh, what is life for you like now, like after... After March, uh, after the home quarantine is over. Yeah, um, Yangchang only had a total of four cases. And I noticed when I was back, there were, well, maybe I'm reading into this, but it felt like there was like a celeb celebratory mood. Uh, like I'm, people are out 
a lot of people are out at night. Uh, I'm not restricted at all. They even have KTV open, back open. Wow. Uh, so it feels almost like back to normal. <laughs> um, at my school, there's students from kind of all over, and only the students from an area in Chongqing can go back home for weekends, unfortunately. So yeah. if students are from like uh, Yunnan or, or Chengdu mm. or Hubei especially, they, yeah. they can't leave yeah. uh, their dormitories. Um, yeah. And also universities are not open yet. Uh, they're being really careful at universities. I heard from a friend that like uh, at Southwest University, first they're bringing the Hubei students back and testing Perfect. each student from Hubei. And, yes. then, and then they're bringing the rest of the students back. Um, that makes sense. But, but the only thing that isn't open, theaters are still not open, but for some reason, but KTV is still open uh, <laughs> or back open. And uh, yeah, I've at night when I was back, when I just got out of uh, quarantine, I did feel a bit of a celebratory mood, like at mm -hmm. night, like people, uh, a lot of people out drinking, especially because it was a Saturday when I finished and like just that general like happy atmosphere. Yeah. I think something tells me it was a bit more happy just because that was when like things were opening up again and they yeah. had gotten through those months of isolation. Um, I remember my auntie, she has an app um, that kind of tells her who had, where was, have a, like a COVID, like confirmed COVID-19 cases, you know, around her neighborhood and such. Um, did you use or seen such app in China or in Yangchun? Uh, I didn't use that app. Uh, maybe because I didn't really see that app, I thought. I, um... I just was told by Chinese friends and they'd send me like screenshots mm. to show me like, oh, look, Yangshan, uh, it's total only reached four cases. But I know that in like downtown Chongqing, it was worse. Yes. Um, there were more cases there. And and so I can understand why like yeah. people there would have been paying more attention to the apps. Yeah, because there were a couple, a uh, few tense days when my auntie's like, oh, my God, there's a four confirmed cases in the neighborhood around me <laughs> we're not leaving the house <laughs> and uh yeah. yeah thankfully you know i think uh, my sense also from talking to them it seems like the worst period seems to be over and, and things are people things are a little bit more relaxed now so so yeah. what about um you know your teaching job is still is everything still online no actually uh, so, uh, two weeks ago on March, or, or sorry, April 20th, <laughs> April 20th, uh, grade 12s or like high school year three students came back, ah. with, uh, with like grade nines or middle school year three students recognizing, I guess that these students are pretty, um, they have like the important tests, the Gao Kao and Zhang Kao test to get ready for. And then on April 27th, the rest of the high school students came back. Mm. Uh, so, so it's interesting at the school. I have to teach with my mask on. Uh, and I have to, like, clean the classroom after uh, I teach the students uh, with, like, disinfectant. Mm. Um, I, ca um, I can't leave or I, I'm discouraged to leave at lunch to eat somewhere mm. else. So... 
right. eat in the school cafeteria. So, yes. and the students, uh, like, they can only do clubs that, um, they can't do sports clubs. They can do the other clubs, but uh, sports clubs are suspended. Yeah. So, uh, and another thing that was uh, a bit intense was that the students were really encouraged to be driven by their parents to the school. So mm. some of them drove like so from so far away uh, instead of using public transit to get mm. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yes. so yeah. There's some there's some differences. Um, uh, and yeah, you're right. There is a, a worry about like a, a second outbreak still, um, uh, and that's probably like a lot of <laughs> teachers didn't come back with that worry. So another weird thing is that I. I'm like, there's only six of us back of 26 foreign teachers. So a, a lot of the teaching is online still. And uh, the poor students, a lot of them came back to find uh, like 20 students, uh, 20 teachers, not fair. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a bit rough for them, I think. Uh, but they do seem happy to see their friends again. That's, oh. that's one thing, but yeah. Um, a lot of teachers were not like were convinced that uh, there'd be a second outbreak, and and also they waited too long to come back when prices ah. increased a lot. Yeah, in, in airplane prices. Uh, ah. uh, so it's just me. There's like three Canadian teachers back, and then three teachers from South Africa back mm -hmm. <laughs> with me with us. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of I mean, I'm in Bali and just uh, in March, end of March, that's when the, the foreign tourists here basically swamp the Bali immigration office, trying to extend their stay so they don't have to, you know, <laughs> fly back to their country. Because, you know, like one of the worries also being airports, being, uh, you know, one of the airports and airplanes being a, a possible place to pick up the COVID-19. Um, so and and fortunately, you know, the the Indonesian government decided, okay, the they're just gonna automatically extend emergency visa for everyone for all the foreign tourists who enter Indonesia after February. And oh wow, yeah, yeah, and they say, do not come to the immigration office. We don't want you to possibly spread the disease here. You know, like we don't want to be responsible. So do not come to the immigration office. We'll do everything automatically in the system. <laughs> so yeah, so that's how the situation is down here. But the, all the Americans I know in uh, in Bali, they they don't want to they don't want to go home. <laughs> They'd rather stay here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so it's not too bad in Bali then? Uh... Um, I mean, it's, uh, it's there's kind of delayed reaction in Indonesia. So for, for the longest time, we thought we would be protected by the hot weather because there's some because there's so much so much still yet to be discovered by, by COVID-19. At one point, they were saying like the the, the virus um, is optimum to survive in, in cooler temperatures and, and you will it's tend to break down a lot easier with high temperature. So we thought, oh, okay, we're, we're safe. We're in the tropical zone, right? And then, um, and then you know, there are reports in outbreaks in Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, and in fact, uh, like in Malaysia, it 
uh, also in Indonesia, it happened. Um, the outbreak happened in couple mosques, right? So so now in Indonesia, they even stop, uh, you know, gathering in, in the mosque, praying in the mosque because that's a, that's one of the vector for for spreading uh, COVID nineteen. Um, I mean, and and there there have been you know hundred cases uh, in Indonesia, but that's that's more countrywide. Um, and but 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 Bali because it's such a it's such a tourist destination for people all over the world. Um, or what they did originally was stopping flight to China. You know, so, there are many Chinese tourists that actually got stuck here because they couldn't go back. Um, no more flights, and uh, and then later they they stopped. There, there are several countries that that would stop flight. I mean, there were no flights out of the airport for a while. Um, and and because there were a couple of British tourists who actually died from COVID nineteen in Bali, and and one of the problem initially it was you know there's a scar scarcity of testing facilities, so they had to take a you know basically sample in Bali, send it to Jakarta. By the time the diagnose diagnose came back to Bali, she was already dead. Um, so there was that, and so right now in Bali they closed down all the public uh, beaches. Uh, all the all the tourist areas are closed. Like I had never seen Bali so dead, and and all the all the restaurant uh, has to be closed by like certain time at night, like by by I think nine o'clock. That was uh, latest they could operate. And normally, you know, a lot of places in Bali is twenty four hours. And and now it's mostly uh, and they Bali also they have these uh, people in 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 the villages like at the village entrance they will check your temperature make sure you wear mask and when you go to the restaurant and supermarket um, also they make sure you wear mask and they also have this temperature gun to measure your temperature <laughs> if you, I'm sure they have those in China as well yeah yeah like uh, uh, in restaurants and then also like a high speed train. Uh, or any public transit, yeah, they have oh. those temperature guns. In fact, I have to be, my temperature at school has to be checked uh, three times every day. So I get it checked three times every day at, with the gun. So, so they have a, so the public transport is still up and running in Chongqing. Yeah, yeah, well, I think it basically came back to being up and running. Um, but I can only travel to downtown Chongqing, and I haven't yet, actually, since I gotten back. Um, uh, but a friend of mine has, and he said it wasn't too bad uh, to travel there. But if, for instance, if I traveled to Chengdu or uh, anywhere outside of Chongqing, I'd be quarantined for 14 days. So, yeah, staying in Chongqing, yeah. Okay, well, I, I hope you continue to enjoy your time. Um, in uh, in my beautiful hometown, um, I have, do you plan to like is local trips possible? Like we, within Chongqing, like for example, go to like the Dazu. I don't know if you've been to the the Buddhist grottoes in Dazu, which is um, it has like thousand year old uh, Buddhist rock carvings. It's a little bit famous in China. Um, yeah, I. I went there before the all this COVID nineteen happened. Yeah, it was amazing there. Uh, so the rock carvings are beautiful and so detailed, and it's such a huge 
area with the rock carvings. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that was amazing. There's a lot of amazing sites in Chongqing I know I haven't visited yet too. So yeah, I, I hope I can do some of those visits. Would that would that be allowed right now to travel within Chongqing? That's kind of what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, it is allowed. I mean, uh, quite a f some of the uh, historical sites I think are still closed, mm -hmm. though. But um, like for instance, uh, I can go to downtown Chongqing to see my doctor, mm -hmm. and then also like you can like visit like the you know the different downtown areas, like the nice restaurants or yeah, yeah uh, things like that. Um, the nice walk around the nice bridges and stuff like that. So there's still uh, that that's um, you're able to do. Mm -hmm. In fact, going to going to downtown Chongqing can be nice for going to Pizza Hut and because Yangchuan doesn't have Pizza Hut. Ah. <laughs> and Yangchuan has a cool thing about Yangchuan is that it has less like Western food options. So that's cool. KFC though, right? It has KFC. Yeah, it has KFC. Yeah, yeah, but, um, KFC is literally on every street corner in China. Last time I, I remember. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't have much Western places, but it has two KFCs, of course. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's all because uh, I, I was surprised to hear about the Pizza Hut because uh, I used to watch this. Uh, uh, I I watched this Chinese uh, drama. Um, like a kind of fantasy drama called Ever Not Ever Night, um, and they would have these like like in place like a uh, in placement commercials for Pizza Hut, right? Like they it's it's in the drama. It's supposed to take place in some fantastical settings where people wearing Chinese period dresses, and then they order this what they call this uh, um, uh, what what they call it? They call it the the thin uh the thin crust uh, uh uh pancake and everybody know that was a pizza hut commercial it was like it's some some latest pizza hut product they're trying to promote it was <laughs> i thought it was quite funny um oh, that sounds funny yeah 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 uh, so thank you very much uh again to take your time to come to the show um is there anything else that you want to cover or anything you like to promote uh well i think that your like listeners probably just like uh definitely understand the the general idea that like yeah china's done a, a quite a good job at containing covid19 and there's like a lot of bad anti-chinese propaganda in canada and the usa um but yeah it's it's pretty amazing uh i think some of like it, the way you view the media it's almost like uh, the media in the USA and Canada are like wishing for a second outbreak in China. It's pretty ridiculous. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, like all this. Uh, so, so like now we're in U.S. gearing up for the election season, right? I mean, there's uh, the, the, the the Trump and the the Democrats are already vying for positions, and and now they're they're turning into COVID nineteen into a political issue, and both sides, both. Trump and the Democratic Party are trying to blame China <laughs> and they're trying to blame each other for being soft on China. There was a uh, uh, recently the Bud, uh, uh, the Pete Buttigieg, uh, 
just uh, posted, wrote something in an interview by Washington Post, and he said, "Oh, China wants four more years of Trump." And you're like, "You gotta be kidding me! <laughs> Why would China want that?" But basically, every each political elite uh, faction of political elite in U.S. rather than actually doing something to contain the epidemic, is trying to like looking for a way to shifting blames right now, and it, it, it's it's quite ridiculous. And and one of the famous uh, thing they they trying to promote in the media is that. Oh, somehow you know China. China lied, and the the, the the or the 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 stats from China is unreliable. Um, it, and you know there's no way there's only like eighteen thousand, eighty thousand cases of COVID nineteen uh, infections in China because we know you know U.S. Uh, COVID nineteen cases just broke one million. There's no way that China is doing better than U.S. I mean it's almost like. If you take that logic, you break it down, it's really like they're wishing there are more people getting infected in China. <laughs> it's it's really messed up. Yeah, exactly. There's a, there's that in the Canadian media too. They they say stuff about China lying, but they don't have any evidence to back it up. It's it's pretty ridiculous. Um, and yeah, like they're trying to place blame elsewhere when Ontario the um, province I'm from, it has like less acute care beds per person than like many places in the USA even. There are only like two acute care beds per a thousand people in Ontario. Um, yeah, so when it should be a wake up call to invest in healthcare and invest in public healthcare, it's, it's pretty ridiculous to see um, even people like Bernie Sanders falling for like anti-China uh talking points and stuff like that so yeah yeah that's just uh the only other thing i wanted to say that's interesting is that um it's very much not didn't feel like authoritarian when during the lockdown in china unlike what was said in the media in fact one of my students uh said um you know he thought for a while that it was true that like quote unquote chinese people are not very free Mm -hmm. uh, but now he's questioning that more because uh, when China did the lockdown, like the Western media was totally against it. But then yes. when Italy did the lockdown, there was no um, uh, like criticism of it or hardly any criticism of Italy doing it. So it's opening people's eyes, I think, just how biased the media is, ev even including uh, Chinese people. And uh, on the authoritarian thing, too, like uh, the police in China are very kind. And in fact, the people who would stop me from leaving my apartment complex were like security guards, not even police officers. And they're very kind, kind. They like greet you with a smile um, and they they just enforce the rules. But it wasn't anything like it didn't feel anything like the overbearing yeah. uh, authoritarian rule you hear in the news. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that was just another, the only other point I wanted to make. Um, yeah. So security guard, there are the security guard attached to the building. That you know, each each residential compound have the security guard who guard the gate, and these are the people you interact on like daily basis. Even before COVID nineteen, these are people you interact with on with daily basis, right? Like you, you when you pass them in the morning, you say hello. They say hello. So so like it's people you know. 
Um, and it's not like uh, they they suddenly um, <laughs> order a lockdown and send send bunch of security guard to secure the building. No, no, no. It's it's the people who have been working there. They're they're like the workers um, of 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 the residential compound, basically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then uh, just the one thing I've been impressed by was how. Um, kind of much solidarity there's been in China to get through the crisis. Like people seem very happy with like how far, like how hard nurses worked um, and doctors worked to get out of the crisis. It seems a lot less hollow than the 7 p.m. clapping they do in Canada and the U.S. for nurses. I mean, I think what's the 7 a.m. clapping? Well, at 7 p at 7 p.m. in like New York City, for instance, and and I think some places in Canada, there's clapping in support of solidarity with nurses on the front lines, uh, and all that's all that's good, I think. But I um like a a big issue is just like the lack of healthcare resources, I yes. think, in Canada, and then um yeah the the need to push for public health care in canada i think that's the most important thing to do i I was shocked i mean i i thought nothing shocked me in us anymore but i was shocked when when the medical workers have to wear garbage bag on their head to protect themselves i mean that that was you know because i remember when the covid 19 crisis first broke out in china um, there was a lot of quirky you know uh, Chinese uh, TikTok videos that was being posted of like Chinese citizens fashion different kind of masks, you know, some made out of bra, some some use like a like a um, uh, like a like a plastic uh, bottle to cover their head, you know, like that was all fun and a, a good good fun and laugh, you know, people people kind of laugh at that, and then then we have like nurses and doctors of New York. You know, wearing garbage bags to protect themselves because they don't have the the, the PPE, and that that's legitimately shocking to me. I, I never yeah. expected something to happen in U.S. of all all, all places. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is uh this has been a great interview. I, I'm glad I finally uh you know have the time to to talk to you and uh i i hope you continue to join uh enjoy your time in my hometown uh hopefully the, the you know we all hope for the crisis to be over soon and so we can resume our our normal life um and is, is there um any place on social media you want people to follow you at uh Sure. Like, uh, for instance, I did write an, a bit of an article about my experience in China. You can, people can find that on Rebel Youth Magazine. Uh, it's like a Canadian new magazine for the Young Communist League of Canada. Uh, I think on, yeah, it's online. Yeah, I can send you the link. Um, and then uh, the uh, the, I guess you can follow me if you want on Twitter, although I'm like, I think I'm Ryder Miller. If you look up Ryder Miller um, or Peter Miller on Twitter, you can find me. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I mostly just retweet 
cool stuff I see from people. I, I'm not much of a Twitter poster. Yeah. Okay. okay, so I will post a link to your article on the show notes. Um, and uh, for people to check out. And so this this article is mostly about your experience in China? Yeah, well, it's kind of also just talking about uh, how um, it's kind of an article trying to speak out against like the China bashing and yes. Canadian media too. Yes, I mean, that's that's it's so obvious nowadays that there's a narrative being pushed by you know the the, the three-letter Chinese uh, the uh, three-letter U.S. intelligence uh, agencies and and U.S. government itself. I mean, there was a article. There was it was reported by Daily Beast of all places about White House pushing U.S. officials to shift uh, blames on COVID nineteen to China. But of course, they you know Daily Beast did that to. Uh, get Trump right because you know that's that's only time when the, the the liberal media would would report something like that. But uh, you know, but Trump is not the only one that's doing it. <laughs> so the whole U.S. government is is basically trying to push the media to shift the blame to China, and it's having an effect. I mean, I saw um, like a public opinion pool uh, poll recently. They show like. There's a huge, drastic change in American public opinions toward China in last last two years. You know, like it, it, it shifted to like overwhelming negative impression, like over sixty-seven percent. I think. I mean, it, it's not like China really drastically changed in the last two years. It, it's it's because the the kind of the xenophobia that's been pushed by the media that's really got cranked up in the last two years, and that's that's what shifted the public opinion. So I, I'm glad that you know you are speaking out against that, and I'm glad that I have you on the show to talk about the actual experience on the ground because I I think many people don't get that. Yeah, thanks a lot. I I'm really excited that I got to be on this show uh, too. It's a good show for me as a, I'm a history teacher, so. I should know a bit more about the history of the place I'm living in. So it's a good show to, to get in, introduced and learning more. Oh, great, great. Thank you for that endorsement. I, I'm actually trying to bring on uh, more history content. And like right now, the show is kind of a kind of mix between like the politics and the, the, the history. I'm trying to get more more history content back on the show. Um, I just just today I just interview um, um, uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, activist from Hawaii who is uh, uh, have uh, who is have who is of Okinawan descent, and and I had him on the show to talk about the history of Okinawa, um, you know, from from ancient time to the present. So we talk about that and and how that ties to the present situation of like U U.S. military presence in East Asia, et cetera. And, and I'm also going to finish my Taiwan series with, uh, with the Taiwanese rapper Zhang Yu, who um, we're going to continue to talk about the, the, the Cold War Taiwan and the post-Cold War Taiwan, the political development on, on Taiwan post-Cold War. Um, and I'm also going to have, next week, I'm going to have um, um, back on the show, um, uh, the, the, the Amir Amir Askari, who was a guest on my show on episode two, when where he talked about the 
the um, the part the Rome versus Parthia battle of Carhai. So we're gonna talk about the epilogue of that battle, which has to do with China. This supposedly the, the last Roman legion in China, because supposedly the the the, the uh, 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 group of the Romans, the Roman captives from the battle of Carhai, supposedly. Supposedly ended up in China, and and and, and he's going to come to the show too. We'll, we'll we'll clear that up, and 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 so there will be a lot of great content, and uh, and uh, I hope you guys will all enjoy it. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm really excited for those. I really like the uh, the intro kind of history you did with decolonized buffalo as well and stuff like that. So yeah, it's yeah. great. Thank you, thank you for that because. Um, it was actually uh, Rick who who approached me to do a show on the modern Chinese history, and um, I try to keep it more like general um, because I there's actually a lot more details, but uh, you know, be, just because there's not much material out there for general public, I kind of just want to give people like a taste and like of a general outline of what happened and then maybe in the future time we can like delve in deeper to a, a particular episode of that chinese history because it's for me it's also fascinating that i'm still learning like even now about new things that that either just come into light or something i previously know nothing about awesome that's great okay well thank you very much again peter for coming to the show thank you thank you and I hope you uh, continue to enjoy my hometown. Oh, I'm yeah, I will, <laughs> for sure. Okay. To subscribe, search in Google the Silk and Steel podcast. The Patreon link should be the second one from the top. Or you can go to patreon.com. In the search box, type in Silk. The Silk and Steel podcast should be the first one in the result. I put in a lot of time and effort to put together this podcast, and I do ask you for your support. For $5 a month, you will receive premium patron-only episodes like this that details culture, politics, history of China, its surrounding region, and China's relationship with the world. You will also receive pre-released regular episodes before they have been released to the general public, as well as newsletters detailing everything China-related topics. I hope you enjoy the show, and I hope you subscribe. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Chechi la la sa, 
分儿的太死，不知你说的头大。那如果不信的话，随时过来搞一下。欢迎光临重庆飞机，帮你找一家。不啦不啦，老子是火锅，你是火锅底料，叫你小火锅，因为我讲礼貌。很火有好多，个人拿着比较，包包的么么，几个月才几号？老哥。